Elihu spoke to Job, and though Elihu did not really understand all that was going on, there there were some things that he said to Job that were true. And, And one of the things he said to Job is, Job, I want you to know that God always deals with his people in a just and right way. That God is a good God. He's always righteous in all his dealings with his people. And that's a true statement. And the way Elihu said it was this, Surely God will not act wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Our God does all things well. And that's the God that we gather to worship this morning. Will you prepare your hearts to meet with that God? Now inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from Psalm 121. It's a psalm in which the psalmist calls each of us to remember where our help comes from as we live in this world. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. I will lift up my eyes to the mountain. From where shall my help come? He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Now let us take our hymns of grace, turning to hymn 126. 126 in the hymns of grace. Behold our God seated on the throne. Come, let us adore him. 126 in the hymns of grace.
Oh, Lord God, we come before you today, and we come to seek you. We are here humbly uh, standing before you in the hour to come, sitting before your word. And we um, acknowledge our need of you, Lord Jesus. And we ask that you would come and walk among us, apply your word to our heart, and give us grateful hearts that love and desire to serve you. Uh, bless us, we pray. Draw us each one onto you this day. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now take your Trinity hymn books, 274. 274 may be a hymn that you're not real familiar with, but it's a hymn in which it goes back even to the Sunday school hour. There is a kingdom that is forever and ever, and there is a king who reigns over even that kingdom today, and the church is a part of that wonderful kingdom, and we ought to rejoice and be thankful for that. 274 Trinity Hymn Books. Rachel, if you'll play through it once, and then we will sing it together.
morning reading today, we will be looking at Luke chapter 10. There's an evangelical thrust in this passage, if you pay attention to what the Lord is doing here. But also, if you were to formulate a doctrine of worship, you would need Luke chapter 10, because there's a couple important things here that it teaches us, and uh, we'll highlight those as we go along. So Luke chapter 10, after these things, the Lord anointed, appointed another, other 70 also, excuse me, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. They're going to prepare the ground for the Lord's coming. Therefore, said he to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes, And salute no man by the way. And into whatever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, They had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you, heareth me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. Here's a warning to us that we should take heed how we hear the word of God. We should not despise the messenger, the appointed person that stands before us, and we should not despise the message if it's in accordance to God's word. Because the Lord is clear here, if you despise, you're despising the one that sent him. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. 
And he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Reveal him. We'll pause here a minute. In our day, there's a voice out there running up and down the street saying that all who worship every form of religion is a path to the Father. And that as long as you're faithful on that path, you really don't need the Son. But we're being told here that only those to whom we are, is whom the Son reveals. All right, let me back up. We are told here that Jesus reveals the Father to us, and the Father reveals the Son, and all other religion that does not include the Son is false and will lead to your destruction. Let's go on. And he turned him onto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said to him, Thou hast answered right. Do this, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stopped but stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an end, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he had departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto them, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. 
And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, Go and do likewise. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister have left me to uh, serve alone? Bitter, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered, said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. We see here in Mary the posture of true worship, sitting in humility at the feet of Jesus. When he visited their house in Bethany, she recognized he had the words of eternal life. That which he spoke led to life. And it was in her heart to be able to, and a pleasure, I'm sure, to sit at his feet and to hear her, hear him. And I read from one of those Banner of Truths back there, I couldn't find the magazine to bring you which uh, man it was, but one of the Puritans mentioned that sitting and listening to God's word is one of the highest acts of worship. Many people think you need to be doing all kinds of things physically and mentally and whatnot to worship God, but to actually sit before the appointed man of God and to hear the word of God is, uh, is the act of worship. Um, we show our humility before God and we declare it to others that we come to hear from him. And um, so let me encourage you in that. We need to come hungry and we need to come anticipating what God has for us. And one more thing, there's a word here that I did a little follow-up on. In verse 42, the Lord tells Martha that Mary has chosen that good part. And if we look up that word good, just a little bit, a couple verses, we go back to Luke chapter 1, and in Mary's uh, giving praise and honor to the Lord when she meets Elizabeth, one of the things that she said, he hath filled the hungry with good things. That's in uh, Luke 1, 53. And the rich he has sent away empty. So there's a sovereign uh, delineating there between who gets filled and who doesn't. And when we come to seek the Lord, we should be expecting him to do us good because this is that place where he does us the most good. As we seek our God together again in prayer this morning, we want to pray for the Fundamental Bible Church in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic with Pastor Castillo. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we have heard from your word this morning, we would confess that all too often, we are found ourselves distracted 
by those things that are far less than the good things or the good part that our Lord mentions here concerning Mary. Father, we have found ourselves seeking materialism. We have found ourselves seeking prestige and popularity. We we have found ourselves seeking gold and silver. But Father, we pray that we would be a people who, who seek you above everything else. Father, we pray that we would pursue you with all of our hearts, that we would know something of that which the Apostle Paul knew when he spoke of the glories of knowing you above everything else, above even this world's goods. And so as we gather here this morning, may it be truly our desire to know of your presence, to hear from you, and then, Father, to be disciples that follow after you in every part of our lives. Father, we pray that you would forgive us of sins. As we look back upon this past week, we know that we have committed many sins. But how thankful we are for your mercy and for your promise of forgiveness as we confess our sins. We pray that nothing would hinder you from coming and meeting with your people this morning, that we're able to worship you with clean hands and pure hearts and good consciences. And Father, we pray that our time together would prove to be very profitable in helping us to walk with You as we ought. Father, we've been reminded as well this morning in the reading of Your Word that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And therefore, we would pray, even as we've been asked to do, that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into the harvest. Father, that You would raise up men who would faithfully proclaim the whole counsel of God to this world. And that they would faithfully proclaim the truths of the Gospel concerning our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the reality that there's only one way in which man can be reconciled to God. And that's through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, as these laborers minister in those things, that You would be pleased to come and by Your Spirit awaken men to their sin and add them to the kingdom of God by granting unto them faith and repentance. And as we think of laborers who are diligent laboring in the harvest, how we give You thanks for the fundamental Bible Church there in Santo Domingo. We thank You for that congregation, that community of believers that gather together to worship You. But we thank You as well for their desire to see the Gospel spread in other places and and for the opportunity that You've given them to, to train ministers in the truth of God's Word. We thank You for the recent report that they have so many men they can't take any more. And so, Father, we pray that You would grant them wisdom who are overseeing this training. 
so they might be able to continue to see men raised up who would faithfully proclaim the gospel. Father, we think of the ministry they have there in Haiti in the orphanage and pray your blessing upon that and we pray that these children that they now care for there in Haiti, Father, would rise up and be faithful men and women of God. That, Father, you might raise up from that orphanage men who would faithfully proclaim your word in years to come. So again, we thank you for the partnership and the relationship that we have with the church there in Santo Domingo. Asking your blessing to be upon them. Be with Pastor Castillo as he leads them in days to come. Help him above everything else to keep his own heart and then to be a faithful shepherd and pastor to the people that you've given him there in that place. Now we pray that as we come to look into your word again, that you would come and bless. Father, make your word effective. Your servant has feet of clay, but the Spirit of God can take your word and do wonders. And we would pray that that would be true in our time together this morning as we ask all these things in your blessed Son's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, again, take your Trinity hymn books, turning to number 44. 44 in the Trinity hymn book, O Lord Most High, with all my heart, Thy wondrous works I will proclaim. Number 44 in the Trinity. Stand together as we see.
Deuteronomy chapter 25 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 25. This morning we begin a new section in Moses' message to the children of Israel. And starting here in chapter 25, Moses is opening up the ninth commandment. The ninth commandment says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The commandment is not only a command to speak the truth to your neighbor, that is, don't tell lies, but it also calls upon God's children to engage in honest dealings with others, your neighbor. We are not only to speak honest words, towards those that we come in contact with, but we are to maintain honest dealings with others. This commandment, again, calls to the people of God to be a distinct people from the other nations, even in the way in which they treat others even in the relationships that they have with others. In this commandment, God is telling His people that our treatment of others should be marked by justice, by honesty, and with compassion, so as not to injure with our words or our actions, others around us. Martin Luther, in his larger, larger catechism, says this, This commandment is given, first of all, that everyone shall help his neighbor to secure his rights, and not allow them to be hindered or twisted, but shall promote and strictly maintain them, allowing right to remain right, not perverting anything or glossing over it or keeping silent concerning it, irrespective of a person's money, possessions, honor, or power. This is one of the functions of this commandment. Oftentimes when we say, thou shalt not bear false witness, what we mean or what we say is, we're not to lie to one another. But, but this commandment encompasses far more than that. It's about honest words and honest dealings in our relationship to others. So when we come to chapter 25 of Deuteronomy, 
Moses gives to us various scenarios that deal with the relationship that we have with other people. And this morning we're going to look at the first ten verses. And if you haven't read them yet, you will perhaps read them and say, what do we draw from this? Because the first scenario has to do with someone who has done you wrong and has been found guilty. The, the, the second scenario has to do with ox, or we might say laborers, and our relationship to them. And, and then the third scenario has to do with a widowed wife and her dead husband's brother marrying her in order that his name and his heritage may continue on. Now, part of my application is not going to be if somebody's done you wrong, then you flog them, but no more than 40 lashes. That's not going to be my application. My applications aren't going to be if you have an ox, don't put a muzzle on his mouth. And you walk out of here saying, boy, I needed to hear that. Because I was thinking about muzzling my ox when I get home. Nor is my application going to be, if your brother has died and left a widow and does not have a firstborn, you're obligated to marry that woman. Now, I don't know how many of you have a brother who has a wife, who doesn't have a firstborn, but that's not going to be the application either. But those are the scenarios that are set before us. So you can imagine this week in my study, I'm sitting there reading these things, asking myself, wow, what do I say to the people of God concerning these things? In these scenarios that Moses sets before the people of God, there are lessons that we can glean. There are attitudes and actions that, that we ought to imitate as we deal with others. Most of us, if not all of us, are involved in relationships. We have a relationship with our family members. We have a relationship with the community of believers that, that we're a part of. We have relationships in our social settings or, or in our workplaces. We, we engage in relationships to other people. And the lessons that we can glean from these scenarios or are lessons that we can apply as to how we deal with others and how we honestly deal with others with regard to justice, integrity, and compassion for those who are in need. 
that will distinguish us from this world. And so in using these three scenarios this morning, I want you to consider what is your call in honestly dealing with others. And there are three things I would set before you. First of all, honest dealings calls for equity or justice or doing what is right. And we read about that in the first three verses. So Deuteronomy 25, notice the first three verses. Is there a dispute between men and they go to court and the judges decide their case and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked? Then it shall be that the wicked man deserves to be beaten and the judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes according to his guilt. He may beat him forty times, but no more, so that he does not beat him with many more stripes than these, and your brother is not degraded in your eyes. So, so the scenario is quite simple. There, there is this dispute between two men. And, and they go to court. And they stand before judges. And the judges decide their case. Which party is innocent and which party is guilty. And then if the guilty party is to be punished, he's to be punished according to his crimes. So, so two decisions are made in the courtroom. First, does the crime warrant corporal punishment? And second, how many lashes will be given? And all that's determined by the severity of the crime or the dispute they're engaged in. If the flogging were called for, it would be done in the presence of the judge. But the flogging was to be done by the one who brought the charges. Remember, they didn't have courts like we have. They didn't have a, a judicial system like we do. They, they had judges. The judges were pronounced guilt. If he was found guilty of wrongdoing, then the person who brought the charge would mete out the punishment. But he would do it in front of the judge. And there was a maximum number of lashes that would be given, only 40. So to make sure that the man who's guilty of wrongdoing is not abused. So this was done in order to make sure that the guilty party was punished, but he was to be punished appropriately. And this was also done so that the guilty party was not grossly mistreated. This man is still your brother. 
He's still a human being. He's still an image bearer of God and should not be degraded, dehumanized. He's not an animal. There was a way that a criminal would be punished and the Ninth Commandment upheld, dealing with him honestly, fairly, justly. So what do we learn from that? Well, there's a couple things we can learn. First of all, people may do us wrong. People may do that which is criminally wrong and has injured us, and such actions are to be punished, but there is a limit in light of the crime as how far one can take the punishment. Now, granted, there were some crimes that were worthy of death. But, but there were other crimes that deserved to be punished because of wrongdoing, but there was a limit as to how far the punishment could go. Cruel and unusual punishment would be wrong. And so I wash my coat and I hang it out to dry and my neighbor likes my coat and comes over and steals the coat. What's my reaction? How far should the punishment go? And how do I deal with this man? Naturally speaking, sometimes when, when people do us wrong, what happens? We allow bitterness to grow up within us. And we have an attitude that says, I want to get even. Justice demands that this man hangs for taking my coat. And the warning is, be careful. When someone does you wrong, be careful not to allow bitterness to build up inside you so that you want vengeance, you want skin, you want him to pay double for what he's done to you. We have an attitude that says, I will get even. And no matter what price he may pay, no matter what punishment may be meted out, it's still not enough. And the warning is, you, you need to be aware of that. 
You need to be aware of not wanting greater revenge than the crime calls for. You want to be careful not to want to see this person suffer just because of the bitterness that you feel in your own soul towards them. And Moses said, yes, a criminal should be punished. But be careful how you do it. Be careful what justice looks like in your eyes. That you're not guilty of going beyond what the crime would call for. And I, I believe it's just a warning to the people of God. You want to show yourself distinct in this world? Then watch out for bitterness against those who've wronged you. Watch out for vengeance that you feel you ought to mete out instead of leaving to the Lord. Be careful that you don't find the root of hatred in your heart against that one who may have done you wrong. Crimes need to be punished. But there's also this thing at times called mercy that perhaps we ought to show. There's no one who loves justice more than God. God is a just God. And justice demands because of our sin we should all be punished and separated from God forever. So, so how does God clear the guilty and still be a just God? How, how can God forgive me and still be a just God? How can that happen? He can't simply wink at my sin. He can't simply look at me and say, well, I see a little bit more good in you than I see bad, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you into my heaven because when God sees us, He doesn't see anything good. So, so how can He be just? And He is so in love with justice that what is He willing to do? Send His own Son into the world. His only begotten Son to take the punishment that we deserve to become sin for us and be punished because of that sin so that God is still just and the justifier of those who seek Him. So, so we want to do what is right we want justice to prevail, but we must be careful, especially against a harsh, bitter, vengeful attitude towards other people who may have really done us wrong. And that will distinguish you from the other nations from the other people. Secondly, honest dealing 
calls for equity. Secondly, it calls for integrity. Integrity, verse 4. You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Now, if you read commentaries, if you listen to sermons, it's interesting to see the variety of interpretations. There are some who've written paragraphs on saying that this verse is teaching you how you ought to treat animals. And perhaps there is a lesson to be learned about how we treat animals. But you might recall that the Apostle Paul in Timothy and in Corinthians quotes this verse and he does it in, in, in the context of providing for those who, who labor in word and in doctrine. Or even as we read this morning, there in Luke chapter 10, a laborer is worthy of his hire. See that he's taken care of. Treat those who labor among you fairly and honestly. And the illustration that is given here is that of an ox who would be engaged in the activity of once the harvest comes in and there's the stock that's put on the floor, the flushing floor, and the ox would walk around, and as he walked around, he would separate the, the, the grain from the stock. And so he would make many circles around the threshing floor in order to separate the grain. Or he would have a sled be that he would pull behind him. And as he walked around, the sled would also engage in that activity. So as he's walking around, the grain comes free from the stock. And the ox is walking around, and after doing that for a few hours, he, he says, I'm not sure what the labor union says, but I think I deserve a little bit of a, a break here. I need some nourishment. There's grain right here. So I'll just go ahead and take a few bites of grain to get the strength I need to go on and finish my job. And as the owner, you might say to yourself, well, wait a minute, that's my profit. You, you can't eat that grain. That's how I'm going to make my money. You may be taking away from some of my profit. And the principle is, don't muzzle the ox. Oh, you might lose a few pennies with what he gathers up for nourishment, but treat him fairly. Treat him honestly. Give him really what he deserves with regard to doing work there in the threshing floor. And Moses is saying to us as the people of God, he's saying to us, listen, be distinct from the others. Don't find yourself stingy and greedy with regard to the things you have. If you're an employer, make sure your employees get a fair wage for what they do so that they might provide for your family. Don't simply look at everything as profit and assets, but recognize there are those around you who will have needs who need to be provided for and see that they are taken care of. It is vital 
that the children of God deal honestly with others, acting kindly toward them. Why keep your employees from an honest wage? Well, because I get less money. You're to deal with them honestly. And we should not be a people that are marked out by greed and selfishness. Simply caring about ourselves. We're to be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That will make you distinct from those around you. And thirdly, honest dealing calls for equity, for integrity, and then finally for charity. For charity. Verses 5 through 10. Follow as I read. When brothers live together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as a wife and perform the duty of the husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He is not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. And then the elders of the city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders, put his sandals off his foot, and spit in his face, and she shall declare, Thus it is done to the man who does not build up his father's house. In Israel his name shall be called the house of him whose sandals is removed. There you go. Take that application. This is referred to as a Leverite wedding or marriage, a Leverite L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E. You ever hear about a Leverite wedding or marriage? This is it. It has the idea of brother-in-law in its definition. Now this law or this precept or, or this statement, whatever you want to call it, is peculiar to Deuteronomy. With regard to be calling a law or, or something you ought to follow, it, it is only found here in Deuteronomy. Now the practice, however, was an old one. It, it was given legal authority. But it is never mentioned in Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers. It is mentioned in Genesis 
where it seems to have been an ancient practice among God's people. We also know something about this from the book of Ruth, though somewhat different if you, if you compare the two. The Sadducees in Matthew 22 used it to question the bodily resurrection. Remember, they came to Jesus and they said, oh, there, there's this woman whose husband died and she married his brother and he died. So she married the next brother and he died and it keeps going. And, and now she's married seven brothers for one bride. I think there's a music. No, it's not the music. So, so who's... Wife is she going to be in the resurrection, huh? If we're going to be bodily raised, who's? And Christ answers their question. There's neither marriage nor giving in marriage in heaven. So we, we see something of this type of marriage in the Bible. Apparently, when, when the children of Israel would go into the promised land... Every tribe would be, getting, be given a plot of land. That would be their land. It was given to them by God. And then within the, tri or the, 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 the tribes, there would be these clans or these families. And they would have a, a portion of that land given to them. This is your part of the territory. And so here's a man who's, who's come into the promised land and, and he has this, this portion of land that would be his, but, it, but it's very close to his brothers. The whole, the whole tribe or the clan lives nearby. This is all their territory. He just has that one piece, but, but that's what it means when it says that they, they live together. But he dies. And when he dies, he doesn't have a son no one to carry on his name. So what's going to happen to his plot of land? What's going to happen to his name? What's going to happen to this widow? The Bible tells us that he dies and the brothers to take her as his wife so that it doesn't fall to the hands of a strange man. The strange man in contrast with another family member, a brother, or something like that. She's, he's to take his brother's wife as his own wife, hoping, I'm sorry ladies, I'm sorry girls, hoping she'll have a son. That's what he wants, is a son. And if she has a son by his brother's wife, that, that firstborn son would be named after the dead brother. He would carry on his inheritance. And he would continue to have that plot of land which was his father's. And it would be the duty of the brother-in-law, now husband, to protect and care for his brother's wife, and hopefully to have a son. Now, now what's interesting about this law, if we want to call it that, is it's unique in the fact there is seems to be an escape, escape cause. 
If the guy says, I don't want to marry her, I, I don't want her, then she would call for the elders, and in their presence, she would take off his sandals. Some believe that the sandals represents the property, the land, that he was not protecting and taking care of, and then spit in his face. How humiliating. How shameful. It's also interesting the fact that it doesn't say what happens if the widow doesn't want the brother. It's implied here that the widow wants the brother. But what if she... We're not told, which I thought was interesting. But, But if she did all that then apparently the brother wasn't obligated to marry her. Now, now the purpose for all this was perhaps three things. Number one, the purpose was that the name of the dead would not be blotted out. Verse 6, He shall be... It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother so that his name is not blotted out. Oftentimes, when a name is blotted out, it's it's a sign of a curse. For example, in Psalm chapter 9 and verse 5, you have rebuked the nations, you have destroyed the wicked, you have blotted out their name forever and ever. And so in order to preserve his name, the brothers to marry his wife. Another purpose behind this was that so the dead man's inheritance would be passed on. That that allotted piece of property would then be passed on to the firstborn of the uncle, who now is the father because his mother has married the brother. You followed that, didn't you? And so the brother who is dead, he has his name continued on and his inheritance is given to the firstborn. And the third reason is so that the woman would be taken care of. So that she would be taken care of and protected. In these days, there was no one more vulnerable than a widow who would take care of her, who would provide for her. So this was an act of compassion. So what do we learn from this? Well, I've read and I've listened. Some make application. I mean, one one application I thought was good is the fact that we learn here that, that marriage is not forever. We we will lose our spouse sooner or later. So his application was enjoy your marriage. Because it's not going to last forever. Yeah, that's a good application. I'm not sure. 
I draw it out of this necessarily, but it's a good application. Here's the application I want to draw from this. Here was a woman in need. Here was a woman who was very vulnerable. She was weak. And you need to show her love and compassion and sympathy. And see that her needs are met. You need to act in love towards her. Again, the application, and what I'm going to tell you isn't, listen, if you've got a brother who's died and he's got a wife and they have no children, then then you're obligated to marry her. We're not. You're not. But if you know those who are weak and vulnerable, if you know those who are in need because of providential circumstances that have come into your life, we ought not to turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to them. Even as we're reminded in the Sunday school hour. But we need to seek to love and care for them. John 13 and verse 34 A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you love one another. And and then this morning as I was sitting at my desk, I couldn't help as I was trying to draw the applications and and try to to bring a word of lesson to you. Uh, My thoughts went to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? The great love chapter. Where we read these words, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. Here, it does not, it does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Genuine love seeks to do others good. Especially when we're made aware of the weak, the vulnerable, the helpless, the needy. We distinguish ourselves as the children of God when we take steps to help those who are in need. It's easy to look down on them. It's easy to judge them. We need to be wise in in what we do. And you may say, but they're just unlovely. Their, their, Their condition is so sad. I just have a hard, it's, it's out, our day and age, it's outside my box to really reach out and help them. You ever see people like that, you know? I, I, I don't know. They're just different than we are. I'm so glad that my Heavenly Father did not look at me with that, with those glasses on. 
Because I was so unlovely. I was so needy. I was so weak and helpless. I, I could do nothing. Absolutely nothing for myself to get right with God. But God in His mercy, and that's all it was, it was mercy. He set His love upon me. Not because I deserved it. God never looked upon me and said, you know, with a little help, I, I do see a little good in this guy. And, and I, maybe I can take that little bit of good and turn it around and he could become a good individual. What God saw was nothing good. This hangnail was as filthy rag in God's sight. And yet he was pleased to set his love upon me and send his son into the world that my sins may be forgiven and I may be reconciled to God. How dare we say they're so weak, they're so needy, I don't want to have compassion upon them. They're not like us. What a contrast. And I believe Moses is telling the children of Israel, when you get in that, in that land and, and you're surrounded by all those other nations, nations that are filled with people who live for themselves, that, that they have only one thing in mind, their, their own lives and what they can do, they, they do not care about other people. You be a distinct people. And love the needy and the weak and the vulnerable. And that way, He will shine His lights in the midst of darkness. Well, there you go. It's a call to have honest dealings with others. May God help us to do so in being obedient to the Ninth Commandment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we pray that you would come and by your Spirit help us to gleam those things which would be beneficial to us as we live in this world. So that the glory of God can be seen in our words and in our actions. And Father, we, we pray that we would desire to do that which is right in your sight. Though often it is difficult that, that, that we would desire to be men and women of integrity and to deal with people fairly and kindly. And that we would be people who love, even love our enemies, because we were loved when we were so unlovely. And so, Father, help us to so live to the glory of God as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let us take our hymns of grace.
hymns of grace, turning to 176. 176, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. May he be the one that's always before our eyes. 176 in the hymns of grace. I stand together as we sing. And you're invited to have lunch with us in that 145 in afternoon service, followed by the annual.